0: podcast ain't played nobody. It's the Sunday hurry up for the Banner Society. You can reach us at Banner Society on Instagram, on Twitter, on all the fun social media platforms. Uh, Alex Kirshner, I I don't believe you've ever done the hurry up before. Welcome back to PAPN and uh, introduce yourself.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I feel like I'm being thrown into the fire against uh, a veteran defense that that knows what it's looking for. So it'll be fun. But yeah, I I write for (laughs) Banner Society and edit for Banner Society. And I'm thrilled to be here with you this morning.
0: So, it's a fitting, it's a fitting weekend to, to change it up a little bit, Alex, just because uh, Richard is recuperating, I'm sure, from uh, not only the shutdown forecast in Jacksonville, but also the cocktail party yesterday. We'll talk about the cocktail party in just a second. This was a bi-week-laden situation for college football this weekend. So, we have a couple clear, identifiable things we want to talk about, and then we're going to kind of meander a little bit. So, um, this is your first time on the hurry up. I'm going to walk through a series of teams and then another series of teams Um, because the word by is next to most of them. We won't have a ton to say about any sort of movement or change in the overall picture of college football. Then I'm going to audition a few teams for you, Alex. If only because, hey, the bye week didn't give us that much to talk about in terms of college football's larger picture. So we have the real ass playoff teams, Alex, no surprises here. We have Clemson, a 59 to 14 winner at home against the Wofford Terriers. Uh, Then we have a series of teams on a bye. Alabama, LSU, Ohio State, and Penn State. Uh, Not much to say there. Obviously, Alabama's about to play LSU. Penn State's about to go to Minnesota. We'll talk about them in a second. Uh, Pretty calm, so we're going to scoot right along. This is where it gets interesting. Uh, We have a list of good teams. We have our undefeated purgatory, which, as we've been saying on the hurry up for weeks now, Baylor and Minnesota are not really going to solve themselves anytime soon, and we're not going to find out until next week we'll talk about that in a second um we have good teams and we have good teams that are out of it so this is a new category i created mainly because richard's not here to complain Uh um but there are good teams which still have a very clear identifiable shot at getting into the college football playoff and then we have good teams out of it okay are there teams that aren't on here that probably mathematically could find a way into a playoff yes but we're going broad strokes here so the good teams i have oregon and utah this will be a major talking point as we go through the show. Oregon, a 56-24 to winner at USC in the Coliseum. A come-from-behind victory of sorts. I mean, they kind of blew them out for most of the game, but they did trail 10 to nothing. <laughs> Utah, a 33-28 winner against Washington. They went to Seattle. They trailed almost the entire game until the fourth quarter and suddenly had a big momentum uh, shift. We'll talk about that in a second. Georgia, they won the cocktail party against Florida 24-17, and then your Oklahoma Sooners who are on a bye. Um, We still have undefeated purgatory, so that would be Baylor, who won by three points way back, way back on Thursday night. I don't know if anybody remembers that. 17-14, they won at home against West Virginia. We'll talk about that game in a second. Minnesota, the Gophers are on a bye. Now we have good teams that are essentially out of it. So we'll start with Florida, a two loss team now that lost 24 to 17 in the cocktail party against Georgia. All right. Um, Auburn, a two loss team. They hung on and beat Ole Miss. Thanks to a late turnover, 20 to 17. Uh, Wake Forest. Now I know what everyone's going to say. They don't have two losses. They have one loss. This is true. They whooped on NC state. They're having a fantastic season. We love them, but here's the deal. Um, You're not probably going to get past Clemson, okay? So Wake Forest has a one-game season. I think everyone in college football would agree that you're probably going to lose to Clemson and still have a really, really good two-loss season, and that's okay. That's awesome. That's why you're in my out-of-it list, even though you only have one loss. Uh, The last good team out of it with two losses, look how nice I'm being. Michigan. I put Michigan back in. They were 38-7 to winners against Maryland. Um, Now, Alex, I have a question. Yes, should the following teams be on the good teams out of it list? You ready? I'm going I'm to audition these teams, and we can decide on the fly if we want to survive. I, I mean, I was thinking of drafting only one onto this list, but if you can convince me of two. So I scanned around, and these are the two lost teams I'd like to talk about. Now, two are on a bye, Wisconsin and Iowa. So I don't know, right? Indiana, they beat the crap out of Northwestern. They're 7-2. Notre Dame. They're six and two, but they needed a very. They, it was, I think, a last-minute touchdown drive to beat Virginia Tech, who's not a good team. They won twenty-one to twenty. This is after they got uh, smacked in the rain by Notre Dame. Uh, excuse me, by by Michigan last week. We have K-State, a workmanlike six and two, right? They very beat the crap. So. Yeah. yeah, they beat the crap out of Kansas. Of course, the reason they're on this list is because they beat Oklahoma last week. Um, is there any team on this list here that I should be including on my good teams who are just kind of out of it?
1: Well, maybe not on merit, but I want you to bump Indiana up because life is short and we might not get another opportunity like this for a while. I like it. Um, I like it. But bump them up because this is a fun show and, and college football should be a fun sport. Uh, I'm really interested in Kansas State because they're coached by a guy who coached for several years anyway, the best dynasty really in the history of college football on a this championships one per year basis not shocking that they suddenly got a lot better at football um, and because they I mean I, I, I guess it stopped being quiet when they beat Oklahoma but they've been with the exception of like two real clunkers against Oklahoma State and Baylor um, that were back to back in the middle of the year weeks five and six they've been incredibly consistent um, all year and just turned in used the word workmanlike, and I think that's a good word for it very workmanlike performances against pretty good teams um, Mississippi State TCU, Oklahoma, uh, <clears throat> Oklahoma State was one of their bad ones, but um, when they've played that kind of middle tier of the Big Twelve and you know the mm-hmm. middle tier of the SEC West, which is a, a a tier that if things are going well for you in, in Kansas State, you're going to be in that tier. They've looked really good, um, and I think they could very well win in Texas next week. Um, and and you know there there aren't any games left on that schedule. I think if you go down, it's Texas, West Virginia, Texas Tech, Iowa State, and the Texas and Tech games are on the road. All of those are winnable, every single one of them. And they probably won't win all of them, but I think an eight- or nine-win season is absolutely within within reach, and it would be a, a good and a heavy eight- or nine-win
0: season. Why did we – I'm curious because you do a lot of sort of the galaxy brain work on Banner Society with Jason Kirk where you guys are sort of – you're looking in almost every sort of path and signal in terms of – the content, we, we joke, but really the content that goes around college football. We we identify narratives, we try and play around with ideas. Did we just undervalue the fact that, that a guy who ran a dynasty and Chris Kleiman comes from, you know, essentially having lost whatever the funds that is, like five times in 10 years or whatever it was at North Dakota State. Mm-hmm. He goes into K-State, which... Kind of matches the blueprint, give or take, on the FBS level of what you would do to succeed at NDSU. I know there's not much to say necessarily about beating Kansas this weekend, but it was yet another, it was another, hey, we're going to be dominant in a situation where we're supposed to be dominant. There was no question about it whatsoever. Again, Mm -hmm. to go back to a week ago, they beat Oklahoma they're just sort of doing everything they're supposed to for i mean you're going to have some variance in the in the big 12 especially in the first season of a new coaching staff and you know i feel like it's okay to explain away that oklahoma state and baylor to a lesser degree was sort of their really only bad game as you said yeah why did we why did we not see this coming
1: i think it's because they were just so drab last year in every way i mean it was a 5 and 7 and there's worse than 5 and 7 and you know they actually came pretty close in in the last week to getting to bowl eligibility against Iowa State, but they just weren't good at anything. You know, the right. offense was really boring and, and bad, frankly. The defense was bad, certainly for a power five team. There was no um, you know, and actually an interesting thing this year, and I don't think it's why they're six and two or seven and two, but they're special teams. It is one of the better units in the country and they were terrible there last year. Um, so there was just not there wasn't one thing that I think you could could have grabbed on to when we were watching that team last year and thought, okay, one-year turnaround um it just didn't it didn't seem like that kind of look but uh, Chris Kleiman is is apparently really good at what he does
0: um you you did you mentioned life is short about Indiana I just realized something our friends at home field uh they're pushing nine windiana Mm -hmm. um so nine windiana would involve I just realized this so they're seven and two now and they have they have the following games left nine windiana is going to need some help They're at Penn State, they're home for Michigan, and then they're at Purdue at a game they probably should win for the first time we've ever said that in a long time about that game. But this involves them. I guess the easier one would be to upset Michigan at home, so they're going to need the help. Um, They could lose all three of those games. So I tell you what, you've convinced me both in a tactical, logical way— about k-state as a program and indiana because it's fun so they're both going to get bumped up my apologies to notre dame as usual and then i don't know what to do with iowa and wisconsin we don't have to do anything who knows yeah alex let's move on to the g5 top five because my lord um uh we'll start off app is gone you had a. uh they lost to georgia southern at home georgia southern not having a good season georgia southern georgia southern the the ever-loving shit out of app um they really did Yeah, Um, this is I've tried with the G5 top five not to get locked into sort of an AAC rotation. It's it's virtually impossible right now. We can debate it a little bit in the middle. Memphis, of course, is your number one right now. Fifty four, forty eight winner over SMU. I kept SMU at number two. Uh, but they obviously lost 54-48 to 48 at Memphis. A fantastic game that, as you and uh, and Spencer Hall wrote on the Banner Society's top whatever, it was pretty much exactly what we ordered. It's what we know Memphis to be. It's what we mm-hmm. know SMU to be. They combined for a, uh, over 1,000 yards. There were a ton of chunk plays. Um, it was fun. It was dynamic. It had a bunch of cool special team stuff. It was pretty much exactly what you ordered needed this weekend to have in terms of like a primetime game while so many other big teams were on a buy. It was really fun to watch. Um, I don't really have anything to glean from it, except that I think Memphis is the best team in the group of five by now. SMU, I bumped down to number two. I was ready to move Cincinnati up, Alex, but mm. um, they had their Tulsa moment. Everybody gets their Tulsa moment this year. Uh, escapes Eastern Carolina, 46 to 43. Mm. Uh, damn near lost the game at multiple points. Um, so at number four, I've got Boise. Um, defense did not look good against San Jose state, but they just, they just kind of shot the lights out on them. And then, uh, on a buy, I bumped in Louisiana tech as app fell out. Um, Louisiana tech and UAB have a date with destiny here coming up soon. they uh, they were both one loss teams with UAB lost this weekend to, to Tennessee. Um, neither have really played anybody of merit. The Louisiana tech sole losses against Texas. Uh-huh. Um, Conference USA is a is just a mess. I don't I don't think it's that particularly deep or interesting this year. However, no, I do think yeah. tech is probably the best school. So I'm gonna give them just sort of like a, a friendly wave hello at five. Um how do you feel totally about fair. this? I
1: feel feel good about all of it. I just wanna use this opportunity because if you're if there's any podcast where this would be well received, it would be this one to shout out San Jose State um, Let's do it. for for being I think the most shockingly competent team in FBS this year. Um, they didn't win against Boise State, but they made them sweat. I think that every Boise fan probably would acknowledge, if they're being honest, that they were miserable throughout that game. Um, they're four and five. They, <clears throat> I think, SP Plus does not like them very much. They were one hundred twelfth heading into the week, um, but they have more SEC wins this year than Arkansas has the last two, and they have been decent against you know teams that. Uh, you know, it, we probably wouldn't have expected them to really compete with. They beat Army the other week, um, and I think they have a decent chance, decent, to steal a win off either Hawaii or Fresno State, um, as well as beating UNLV down the stretch. So, um, could be. I don't know if they what the Mountain West bowl tie situation is, and if they would actually get picked for a bowl. But that would be shocking if they managed to make that happen. So, kudos to them. Do we know anything about them?
0: Um, here's what I know about San Jose State. Um, they're they're. <sighs> Almost the tiniest of margins to to maintain success. Really, Mike McIntyre is the only one who's who's done it. Um, uh-huh. The one thing, honestly, that I love about San Jose State is when they get in those spots where they play like a Boise late at night, slow week. Everyone notices how weird that stadium is. If you don't know, actually, I'm not even going to describe it. Google if you don't know what I'm talking about. Google San Jose State Stadium or Coliseum, um, and and you'll see what I'm talking. They're in the middle of trying to figure out how they're going to reconstruct a very, very large oversized public use stadium from the seventies. And, uh, it looks, it looks interesting. It looks very California. I'll say that I won't spoil anything else. Alex. Yes. Uh, tell me about the storied Michigan, Maryland rivalry. One of the things that we neglected to mention on the tasting menu was the under, we were kind of ignoring the early slate of games because they weren't great, which was, which was true, but we slipped up on this whole Mike Loxley, Josh Gattis thing. Um, Gaddis was OC for a hot minute as uh, Loxley got the job at Maryland. Then he goes kind of sight unseen, takes the Michigan job. We've seen sort of what's happened there. Um, this uh, this now should be what one of the Big Ten's greatest rivalry games, in my opinion.
1: Absolutely. So if if anyone is uninitiated with this feud, and I feel horrible for you if you're uninitiated, um, Gaddis said something after he took the Michigan job that was to the effect of uh, that he was maybe more involved than Loxley thought he was in crafting the Alabama offense that was so good last year. And uh, Loxley said something like, when I was a position coach, I made lots of great suggestions. um, And Josh made lots of great suggestions to me um, that enabled me to make good decisions. Um, Very stupid. I mean, I think if we were all being honest, we would note that um, the person driving that ship, uh, his name is Tua and not Mike or Josh but um you know so they had that little beef um and then Michigan and Maryland played each other and Michigan destroyed Maryland um as is custom Uh, I think our only win in that rivalry um I'm a Maryland alum if, if I've mentioned that a few times before um was in 2014 which was while the Brady Hoke era was terminal and Michigan was like as bad as they really will probably be for you know any you know for for possibly decades i mean who can say um so we did win that year and that was fun um but it's a dire state right now at maryland it's it's it just does not appear to be working out it's still early in the game uh for Mike oxley but it, it's been an extremely disappointing first season uh i think by any reasonable standard
0: um before we move on i will just one thing i want to mention about maryland i think uh the SB Nation Matt Brown, not the athletic Matt Brown, was was tweeting out also the recruiting situation for Maryland, which was sort of the reason Locks came in. And if you go through, I mean, the, the best players in Maryland, there are multiple commitments to LSU. It's, it's a very, it, I mean, the national brands are coming in and just pilfering still. I'm not saying that should have stopped right away because it takes a little bit. Um, but that's got to give you a little bit of pause just because of how dominant the outside powers have maintained recruiting it's not like Loxley's suddenly come in and pulled one or two guys away
1: and there are people locally here who think that for instance the Washington DC class this year um, is the best that it's been in a really long time and Maryland is just not doing a lot there um, as well as in state in Maryland and in Virginia where there are a lot of players so you know, it, it's an odd situation, and in a lot of ways, I, I I think we have to give him a little bit of patience because um, Loxley took over a program that was dealing with a lot worse than being bad at football, and yes. you know, you certainly have to be sensitive to that. Um, and I think I am, but the actual football element of things um, just really doesn't look good right now, and um, and it's it's possible that something changes there, but I'm not I'm not sure what Maryland has shown this year that would prompt any really good recruit to change course and suddenly
0: decide, oh, yeah, I want to go play football there. Uh, by the way, you know, Michigan scored points in a football game again oh. two, weeks in, oh, yeah. two weeks in a row. So, I mean, I feel obligated to point that out since we've run around with such glee about their offense not working. Um, yeah.
1: peaking late,
0: I guess you could say.
1: Mm-hmm. Peak, well, I read about this on the top whatever today as well. I wouldn't say peaking late. I would say peaking in the middle which is what they've been doing for the last several years. Very you good know, they, they kind of have that um, annual disappointing loss near the beginning of the year that you know, takes everyone's expectations down a peg. They always have a phase when they really destroy teams in the middle of the year. Some cupcakes, some good. I think that they are doing that right now, and I'm afraid for our our nine Windiana boys that they're going to run into a bus mm-hmm. stop, um, just as I'm equally afraid for, for Michigan about what's going to happen to them uh, when they play Ohio State. I think both are very likely. But I, I was I was joking around with some Michigan fans yesterday, including one of my best friends from home, and they were having a hard time enjoying yesterday uh, the Maryland game because they just had a sense of dread about what is eventually going to come, and I couldn't blame them.
0: Let me, let me tell you what's here, Alex, as I move through a silky smooth transition. Um, what is here is, an, is a real legitimate playoff conversation for the Pac-12. Uh-huh. Um, some of this is tongue-in-cheek and then some of it's not honestly because we jump on this every year you've written about this how we, we we sort of gleefully pick apart uh the pac-12's problems as soon as basically as soon as all of their teams are no longer undefeated and we cast them off for dead uh-huh. uh we did that this year uh it's interesting because in this case with oregon and utah oregon lost in week one probably the best team in the conference now uh Utah lost kind of a let's say like a brain fart game against USC. Well, basically like USC was the one team that Utah has seen that had such athleticism at receiver they were able to beat a lot of the coverages that that Utah uh played. I mean, that was really it. Yeah. Um they had some miracle basket catch nonsense to beat Utah in those in that in that game back. Gosh, what was that week? 4, I think. Um uh-huh. Now, in reality, what we have are two good teams in Utah and Oregon. They both came from behind on the road. We talked about, we set this up on the tasting menu. We said, if this happens, both teams need to win because the uh, because both teams need, need the other to be as strong as possible going into the Pac-12 championship in, uh, where's that damn stadium? Santa Clara? Yeah, Santa Clara. That'll work. Um, it happened. Both teams stumbled early. Uh, Utah... Definitely looked worse down the stretch and really kind of clawed their way back in uh, to beating Washington. Oregon kind of came out a, a little bit of an early funk. They had one turnover. USC had a ten nothing lead, and then it was just a murder spree. Um, this was an this was a different Oregon. This was an Oregon we haven't seen in a long time. They're now six and zero in conference play for the first time since twenty twelve. I saw one, I couldn't find accreditation for this, but I saw one like infograph that this was their biggest win against Southern Cal in a hundred years. Wow. Um, so let's put an asterisk next to that. But I laughed and I was like, Oh, 100, okay, we'll throw that in. Um, this was uh, this not a tale of two games. I'm trying to fi- find my sports writer cliche. This was just honestly like it was a murder scene. Um, there was a turnover that led to the 10 nothing run, and then Oregon went on a 42-7 to run through the second and the uh, the third, I think, into the fourth quarters. Um, if there was like a pressure point or a switch in this game, um, they went up real, real fast, 21-10, um, because they had, I think it was like, Two drives and then USC pulls in. Uh, pull, they come back. The, the real interesting part was USC comes back. It's twenty-four to twenty-one. It's like kind of a game for five seconds, and then there's a hundred-yard kick return by L. Wright, and it was like that old Oregon feeling just came flooding back. Uh, it was twenty-eight to seventeen. Then it was you. You were looking at going into the half with a three-point lead. Everything felt manageable for USC. And then, boom, 100-yard touchdown kick return. All of a sudden, it was like, all right, that's it. You really didn't even need to play the second half. Uh, other things to mention, I guess, would be Justin Herbert. He has the knee injury. He comes back. The first play back, he throws a touchdown pass. Um, it felt good. It was a referendum. It was funny because I was looking through all the coverage on this this morning, Alex. And, man, sometimes I feel like we overplay USC's identity and everything, but then also, like, everyone was writing about this win being Oregon's biggest and most important really just because of the context of they beat the USC brand and they did it into the Coliseum. And yeah, you know, I, I guess we non West coasters don't understand the, the, you know, the sheer magnitude of this, of how important that is, because I guess regardless of the year that USC is having, it was just winning that big in the Coliseum doesn't, it, it doesn't matter what what's going on for USC in an individual year.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, one thing that I think is really interesting about Oregon uh, that might come into play on Selection Sunday is you know that the playoff committee says that if necessary, they'll take injury situations into account when yeah. figuring out who goes yeah. to the playoff. We tend to talk about that this year mostly in the context of Alabama. Like, what if they lose to LSU because two is not playing or two is not 100%. I think you have to look at Oregon, which took a little while at the beginning of the year to start to look like people hoped the Oregon offense would look with Herbert being back. Mm -hmm. Um, They're rolling right now, and I think it coincides with Jawan Johnson, who's a former Penn State receiver who I believe grad transferred over there this year. He missed the first four games. That obviously includes the Auburn game when the offense never really got into the kind of sink it was supposed to Last two games for Jawan Johnson, um, he, he'd back, he'd been back for a bit, but not really doing much. Eleven for 170 and three touchdowns. All of those were last night. He actually had a natural hat trick of touchdowns, three in a row. Um, he's big, he's fast. Receiver issues at the beginning of the year were probably Oregon's biggest issue, if I recall correctly. He might have gone a long way towards solving that. And I wonder if it comes down to Oregon being 12 and one and being right on the bubble. Um, if the fact that he was not around for the Auburn game is going to play into their favor? I, I would guess that it would.
0: It's possible. I don't know. Um, I mean, I, I think we'll, we'll get to the uh, to Cager for Georgia in a second because Georgia all of a sudden had a pass game, at least enough of a pass game to beat Florida, and he was out against South Carolina, if that ends up being their only loss of the year. Um, I'll be interested to see how much the committee says about that publicly because if it comes down to a one-loss Oregon, it's – I'm gonna be really interested to see the the five six the four five six I should say um, Utah real fast just to pay them a, a little bit of credit. Um, Washington was sort of sleepily winning this game. Um, Utah did not look good on offense early, and as good as their defense is, sometimes U- Utah's offense can kind of just disappear almost completely, and that's how they get into trouble. They had they gave up four sacks in the first half. Um, the opening or the first scoring drive for Washington wasn't the opening drive; was just third down conversion after third down conversion. Um, Washington was up 21 to 13 Then uh, Jacob Beeson throws a pick six, um, right after that pick six, there's two long scoring drives by Utah. And that was it. That was, that was a transition from the third to the fourth quarter. And it was like, everything clicked for Utah at the right moment going into the fourth. Uh, and it just wasn't enough for Washington to come back. They had a really long drive late to, to get close. But when Utah's offense and defense meet at the same time, when they're running the ball, when Tyler Hunley's making good decisions and staying healthy, that defense is ridiculously good and it was just enough for them to get out of Seattle. So the only thing I want to say before we move on, because we're already we're too slow. Uh these are, Alex, good wins on the road, hostile environments, tough teams, tough brands. Um maybe we are as a national entity biased against the Pac Twelve, because I don't know if they're gonna play it like that this week.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um going to it's gonna be a fascinating journey that we go on together with the Pac Twelve. And that's all we that's all we can hope for at any given time, right?
0: Um. So real fast, you can read about this at length on the top. Whatever. Yes. Uh. Florida has lost to Georgia for the third year in a row. Um. The entire game, sort of distilled down, was this. That was was third and Grantham came back. Uh. Uh. It was really that simple. If you're looking for one thing in this game, uh. Georgia was 12 of 18 on third down. That's a lot. Um. I have w- the one stat we need to share is that um basically the last time Georgia was this good when they had 12 or more third down conversions against a ranked team. It was also against Todd Grantham, uh, <laughs> and when he was at Louisville. So yeah, um, I don't know if there's a whole lot to say other than that, that Florida is good, not necessarily great. Um, I, I felt like I was relying on a cliche this year by sort of constantly mentioning third and Grantham because it had not shown up. I I thought, well, maybe I'm just not, maybe they've adjusted. Maybe, nope. It showed no. up in, in, no. in just a ridiculous way. Um, It was pretty ridiculous. Uh, The one thing I will mention is that Lawrence Cager, who's also a grad transfer, uh, who was also, as I said, injured, separated his shoulder and did not play against South Carolina when Georgia's offense disappeared completely. He came back, seven catches, 132 yards, touchdown. He was all over those third-down conversions, Alex. And then also Uh I just want to shout out, he posted um, after the game on Twitter the Undertaker coming out of the coffin gif. Um, I don't know if that was in reference to necessarily like – Georgia's third down success, Georgia's playoff conversation, whatever. But, hey, I like it.
1: Can I bring up the one thing, the third and Grantham moment that was absolutely incredible to me that stood out above the rest? Yeah. So it's the third and one early in the fourth quarter. Georgia's just on its own side of midfield. Cager from Georgia is, in my opinion, like kind of probably this year's best, like, holy shit, look at that guy receiver, just like in terms of size and speed. Like, I don't know how you could possibly ever lose him. Like, you couldn't – like, how How could anybody forget him? Like, he's, like, one of maybe five players in college football. He'd be like – I mean, you you can't forget him. Like, there's just no way. I mean, you look at that guy, and Georgia forgot him. And it was they a 52-yard touchdown. Not good. Not good. Uh,
0: we mentioned Memphis SMU. I'm not trying to short shift it, but we're just going to move along. It was Like I said, it was exactly what we needed it to be. Um, Memphis now has been – explosive, entertaining, like they have fully realized that the potential and I, like I pick at Memphis on social media a lot because they've always underperformed both as a fan base and a program and not understood what was sitting in their own backyard in terms of talent. That seems to have um, fixed itself. Let's say that. Now Miami, Florida State, was not an anxiety bowl obviously as we define anxiety bowls, but it was a mini one in that the loser was going to receive the the most amount of attention here because both programs have underperformed a lot these last couple years and especially this season you know Florida State potentially poised to miss another bowl which would be just catastrophic for that program and then Miami Miami lost to Georgia Tech two weeks ago so this has not been a great year for either this was a competitive whose offensive line was worse uh, game and guess what? It was definitely Florida State. Mm-hmm. Um, they're still absolutely awful. The thing, the, the, I, I, we'll get into this later this week with Richard and Bud and Bud specifically. I, there's not going to be movement on Taggart this season. I know everybody wants to put it in that context, but here's the deal: they have to get a quarterback. Neither quarterback is working, and the offensive line looks as bad as it did when Jimbo left. Those things, as you as you close out year two, just ask Arkansas, become. Uh, you know, you can't tolerate those, the fan base, the boosters, they won't tolerate that at the end of year two. They're just, there's that level of patience doesn't exist in college football. Uh, Florida state runs its entire offense through cam Akers Now his first half runs, uh, negative one, four, five, zero, negative four, negative five, a 15 yard clip, zero, two, and six. What does that tell you? Uh, Manny Diaz had a really simple plan because Florida state has become a very simple weekend offense and that's it. Uh Um, Taggart's 0-5 against the rivalry. That, well, they they consider Clemson to be a rivalry game now, but Miami, Florida, Clemson, it's bad. The average score of those losses is 40-15. to 15. Again, I'm just kind of teasing all this. We will talk to Bud. I kind of thought Florida State would, would roar back because of the way they played against Syracuse and win this game. We now have to go back into referendum mode on Willie Taggart. We'll do that this week. Alex, last thing. You ready? I am ready. Baylor... I want to mention this because they're still stuck in undefeated purgatory. They almost lost to West Virginia, plucky West Virginia. Um, This is their third game in conference play this year that they've won by three points. What that tells us, obviously, is that they've been a little bit lucky. They've been fortuitous. You can't say this wasn't lucky when you win the game on a blocked field goal. Um, I am not trying to, and Alex, you're a great person to kind of figure out the measure of being sensitive to a situation and being diplomatic about how we message things, we are not making fun of this Baylor-Minnesota situation. They're undefeated, right? Right. We measure everything in college football by quality losses, the fact that you survive, are okay, you know, the playoff contenders. Like right now I'm measuring those good teams and those one-last teams by the quality of their loss, right? Uh-huh. If Baylor and Minnesota are good enough or lucky enough to be undefeated, we should hold them up. I just don't think that we should also put them in the context of like, you know, Clemson and Ohio State. Um, Agreed. I, po- I posit this to you. They lost 50 yards on eight sacks, Okay. They could not run the ball in for a touchdown against West Virginia's uh, defense when they had the ball on the West Virginia one. It was about the half-yard line, according to Matt Rule, after the game. So, like, they have, they have games coming up, a rivalry game against a, a not-great TCU, but, again, a rivalry game, and then OU in Texas. Alex, like, this is going to fall apart for them, right?
1: Probably, probably. And th- that's why I think there's no harm in having them where you do right now, is that they see Oklahoma— Two weeks from now, yeah, we'll know a little bit more after that, you know. This is um, true, or or maybe before if TCU um, beats them, which which they absolutely could. That's a road game that's in Fort Worth. Um, you know, it could it could fall far before that. Um, but you know what? If Baylor beats Oklahoma, then uh, and and at that point, if they are nine and zero after beating Oklahoma, or I think they'd be ten and zero. Excuse me. Um, then we can move them up, and no one will be the wiser because guess what? They don't pick the playoff until like. December 8th this year so that would be nothing ventured nothing gained
0: I uh I would also point out just to be nice uh West Virginia scored 14 points in that game it essentially came on a kick return so that's a special teams gaffe if you're Baylor and then an eight one broken play was an 83 yard touchdown so Baylor's defense has done exceptional work this year as well Minnesota I tell you what, we're just going to pause right here, Alex, as we wrap up the show. I'm g- good for you, Minnesota. Let's see you handle Penn State on Saturday. Uh, Alex Kirchner. I thank you for joining me. Uh, while you have this moment, is there anything you would like to promote, plug, or just say?
1: Well, thank you for having me. I love the way you guys are doing the show these days. I'm, a, I'm an active listener, and I would be even if I were not paid by the same employer as you. <laughs> and uh, please read us on BannerSociety.com
0: uh you can find alex every saturday slash sunday morning on the top whatever with spencer hall and various other idiots that we work with um alex Kirchner, thank you uh we will see you guys later this week for the tasting menu and also just as a programming note we will have a couple um isolated episodes extra episodes i don't know what we got to figure out good names for them on the coaching and the recruiting and what such uh we'll see you this week